everyone. Um, it's so good to see Rick and Katie take their responsibility serious. There's a sort of warm-up comedy double act <laughs> with Cheryl in the background. I was amazed at genuinely some of my favourite notices. And <laughs> Cheryl, we should have you heckling every single week. <laughs> that was superb. Um, there's no smooth link into what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but just to say, my name's Ben, I lead Grace Church, and if you're here for the first time, uh, then you are particularly welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Um, we are finishing our gifts series today. So over the last um, few weeks, we have looked at uh, 1 Corinthians, we've looked at chapters 12 to 14, and we have spent some time uh, just um, seeing what Paul has to say. Paul was an early leader in the church, and uh, see what he has to say about gifts. And today we are finishing on an incredible chapter um, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's really well known. It's full of all sorts of, um, yeah, just wisdom. It's absolutely packed. So I think I'm going to start, and uh, people are dropping rubbish and all sorts. Of, um, I'm going to uh, start by reading the entire chapter, and then we will unpack it. We'll, we'll go into the detail of it. Okay, I'm reading from the ESV, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patience. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If you wouldn't mind, if you could all stand up just for a moment. And sit down. You, you all are so serious. Then we're we're not we're not actually um, having any wedding today. But um, for those of you who are uh, Christians, you've been Christians for a little while. You've been to a few weddings. Isn't that where our brain goes to when we hear that passage? When we hear it read, we think straight away of. I don't know if you think Hugh Grant or not, but you think of that sort of context. You think of a wedding. You think of love between um, a couple. But Paul is not actually speaking about love between a couple. 
He's, he's speaking about love in the context of community. And so we are actually, maybe for the first time, speaking into this passage, hearing this passage unpacked in the correct context. So don't think wedding, think community. For those of you whose native language is English, which, believe it or not, mine is, um, <laughs> love is a word that's used really generally, isn't it? So I love my wife, Emily. I think she's wonderful. I love my kids. I also love her burger and chips. Um, I love the film I watched that I can't even remember from last week. I love, you know, riding on my bike, whatever it might be. But hopefully, Emily realizes that my love for her is greater than a Big Mac and fries. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I went through this with Emily, just little bits of it, she was like, but Ben, you do really love food. <laughs> but I promise you, my love for Emily is even greater than that. <laughs> but the context by which Paul um, spoke, um, he, um, he wrote this in Greek, and Greek is more helpful uh, language in terms of love, because they have four different uh, words that are used for love. So there's eros, which is the love that many of us might have associated with this passage. It's romantic love. There's philia, which is the love between brothers and sisters, people, uh, peers, people on a, on a similar level. There's storge, which is the love between uh, uh, mum and dad and their kids. And then there's agape, which is the word used to describe the love of God. Now, interestingly, philia is used in the New Testament. It's used 54 times. You don't see storge or eros used once in the New Testament. But the word agape is used 259 times. Okay? So that's the words that Paul uses in this passage. Agape, love. Now, we had wonderful contribution after contribution this morning describing essentially what agape love is. It's this love without changing. It's this self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable, the unappealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Actually, the word agony, that comes from the word agape. So it's this total absorption of, um, of our being into one great passion. So this passage, the one that I've just read, the one that we're going to go through now, is an impassioned vision of what members of Christ's church should, um, it, what it should look like, what love should look like, how we should treat one another, how we should love one another. So we're looking at it in the correct context today. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who was uh, pastor of Westminster Chapel circa the turn of the 20th century. Um, he wrote that in examining this chapter, it's like dissecting a flower. And to understand it, if you tear it apart too much, you lose its beauty. So we're going to be quite careful in how we uh, pull apart this passage. Okay? We're going to treat it carefully, and we're going to use the structure that's already laid out for us. So the first paragraph if you've got a Bible in front of you. That looks at the importance of love. Then we'll go into the description of love, what love actually looks like. It's outworking. And then the final couple of paragraphs, they look at the permanence of love. So they look at uh, love into eternity. 
the importance of love. If I speak, so I'm reading verse 1 again, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter how impressive my gift is, how impressive your gift is, if you do it without love, if you demonstrate it without love, you're nothing more than a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, can we, I'd like us to remind ourselves of what that sounds like. Um, so could I have a volunteer to bash a cymbal? And by the way, this, this, is, not, this is not recruitment for, uh, for a lack of drummer today, genuinely. Uh, so I either want someone who's super talented or who's got no talent whatsoever to bash a cymbal here. Otherwise, I'll do it. And yes, <laughs> Sam, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah, go in there. There's, there's all sorts behind. Okay, let's, let's hear what this sounds like. Just absolutely go for it. And then you can do a little, maybe give us a 4-4 beat afterwards, so we'll see if you're any good. <laughs> yeah, just hit it. Anyone's. It's too tuneful. Bit more, bit more bashing. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That was a great demonstration, wasn't it? Let's give it up for Sam. Perfect. I'm going to keep that in at the 11, whether we think it works or not. So... Um, so a symbol or a gong, that was used in, um, in worship of what Paul would describe as mute gods. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the focus. That's where he wants us to think about. It's a religious practice, putting on show, drawing attention to oneself. Um, there's a commotion. It's noisy, but yet it's totally empty. I've heard um, this described like this. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it. So it's an unpleasant sound, although Sam was probably a little bit too tuneful with that. <laughs> However, Paul's not just saying that the tongue or the spiritual gift that's been used, that's the unpleasant sound. He's actually stating it a lot stronger than that. Paul's saying that if we um, do anything out of a lack of love, we become that noisy gong, that clanging cymbal. It's as if my action of speaking in tongues or my action of using a spiritual gift without love has left a permanent effect on me. It's diminished my value and transformed me into something that I should not be. It's quite a, a strong statement, isn't it? It, you, you are diminished in value. You're doing something God's not called you to do if you do it without love. I, um, I walked away from church age 15 or 16, and in my slightly arrogant teenage, from that sort of perspective, I looked around and I thought, wow, the church is full of hypocrites. Um, and I was both wrong and I was right on that one, actually. Um, the church that I was part of at the time, there was quite a lot of infighting, there was quite a lot of uh, spiritual one-upmanship, and it wasn't particularly pleasant on one level. But also, if I'd scratched a little bit deeper, I would have seen that there was incredibly loving, caring people within that community. Um, but I didn't have the eyes to see it. And also, personally, I wasn't contributing anything to that loving community. I was just looking at it, deciding I didn't want to be a part of it. Pete Gregg, uh, the 24-7 uh, prayer founder, he provocatively stated it like this. He says, some Christians 
of bad human beings. It's possible, isn't it, to appear very gifted, to appear very spiritual, but without love, that's not actually what God values. Let's read verse 2. And if I, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith as to move mountains but have not love, in the, this exercise of divine mathematics, five minus one doesn't equal four, it equals zero. It's as simple as that. Verse 3, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I can't think of a more selfless act than sacrificing yourself for a cause or for others. But Paul's saying, if my deeds of philanthropy, if done for the wrong reasons, are worthless. Wow, how often do I do the right thing, but I do it for the wrong reason. My uh, dissertation, I did business studies at university, my dissertation was on the relationship between multinational corporations, so big business and the arts sector. And when you looked at that relationship, you'd see a big company like a tobacco firm or a um, drinks company sponsoring an arts event, and they'd maybe give 50,000 pounds, and you'd think, wow, that's what generosity there. They've given 50,000 pounds, a sizable chunk of money, to this art exhibition. Aren't they wonderful? Maybe this tobacco company is not all bad. And then you'd scratch the surface, and what you would see is they might have given 50,000 pounds, but they then spent over a million pounds, sometimes multiples more, advertising the fact that they'd, they'd given 50,000 pounds away. And so you think, if they were truly philanthropic, what would they do? They would give away their advertising budget as well to multiple good causes. But often we're no better than that tobacco company. Our motives are as selfish and uh, seemingly philanthropic acts of kindness. They can become self-promotion exercises. But why is being motivated by love? Why is that so important? Surely, if something good has been done, if we don't do it necessarily for all the right reasons, surely at least something good has been done and it has some positive effects. Paul's actually saying, no, that's not the case. A good way to think about it is like this. If I receive a present from someone, it's coming up to Christmas or someone gets me a Black Friday deal or whatever it might be, um, but they're doing it as an exercise to show off about how generous they are or they're doing it with ulterior motives or to prove a point, doesn't that totally undermine the gift that they give? Whereas if someone I love gives me something, the thought that's gone into it, I know the background behind it, I know how thoughtful they've been, and so that gift has so much more power. I mean, I, you can test this by all means, you know, either a, a small generous gift or a big wadge of cash with ulterior motives. Let's, let's see how I respond. <laughs> Paul is saying that tons are good, prophecy is good, knowledge and faith are good, sacrifice is good, but love is so valuable, so important, 
that apart from it, every other good thing is useless. Agape love in community, what it does is it creates an environment where people can flourish. Humans, we are made to be spiritual beings, aren't we? We're made to do more than just a job put in front of us. We're made to use spiritual gifts. We're made to step out in faith. We're made in the image of God. But in order for us to use those healthily, our foundation needs to be love. And you see an example of love as a foundation being helpful and helping people to step out over and over again in families, don't you? Healthy families work where children know that there's a foundation of love. You know, I see my kids at their boldest when they've got Emily, they've got myself, cheering them on when we're, when we're there and we're celebrating with them. You can see that they have that much more confidence. And what Paul wants, what I'm trying to get across today is shouldn't we be a church like that, that encourages each other, that brings out the best in one another, that cheers each other on, that loves and inspires and builds up. Okay. We're now going to move on to verse 4, which is the next few verses are a description of love. So Paul's broken it down into two things that love is and then eight things that it's not. So verse 4, love is patient and kind. There's nothing about those words that in any way are sentimental. It's not about how love feels, but it's how it can be seen in action. So love is described in doing words rather than lofty concepts. So the activists amongst you, you can cheer right now because this is about actively showing God's love. And as a church, we do take this seriously. We have uh, tried to grow in this area through the food bank, through the social hub, through the 12 o'clock service, and loving people on more of the peripheries of society. Most, more recently, uh, setting up Grace Enterprises and Radiant Cleaners and seeing um, 29 people of latest count go into work, um, most of whom would have had multiple barriers to work and would have struggled otherwise. So we do take this seriously but we want to push into this more. And just looking around, there are so many incredible examples of people personally taking this seriously. Um, Emily and I were at John and Laura Crosby's house last week, and they're fostering two uh, boys at the moment. And what we witnessed the entire afternoon was just this beautiful example of patience and kindness and love and care in that context. And it was totally inspiring, totally inspiring. Many of you are home group leaders, and many of you have been doing that for years. And week after week, opening up your house, caring for people, um, being sacrificial with your time, with your money, it's totally inspiring. And I thank God for all of those, all of what we see of agape love in this church. Patience and kindness are also the same words that Paul uses in Romans 2 verse 4 to describe some of the attributes of God. Jesus is patient and kind, and he's calling us to holiness. Our call is to be like him. And we'll unpack that further in a moment. But let's go through the eight negatives. So continuing from verse 4, uh, it continues with, Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Don't you see similarities with our culture there? You know, the boasting on social media, insisting on uh, having our own way. I, I had a conversation recently with someone who's a wonderful, inspiring guy, and he was just being really honest with me, and he was saying that um, often he is happier or more interested in presenting the look of success rather than success itself. And um, I came away from that conversation. You know, sometimes you have conversations with people and you're like, I'm exactly the same. I feel totally convicted there. This one, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, that I am not like this person. And uh, whilst I have many weaknesses and issues, I'm not someone who wants to present success rather than focusing on success itself. But then it hit me, actually, I am in certain, in certain situations. I really am. Um, so one of the, an example that could illustrate this point, expose my sin, <laughs> in this, it would be actually in this church context where <clears throat> I, um, right at the top of my list of priorities is um, being part of a church and create, creating a church culture where people love and care for one another. It's, it's right at the top there, and it's what I try and do. However, loving people day after day is incredibly hard work, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard. You think, oh, yeah, that sounds great. We want to be a church like that. Come on. But day after day, week after week, year after year, it's exhausting. And there have been times where I can be tempted to think, oh, I'd actually settle for a church that gives the appearance of caring for and loving people rather than doing the hard work day by day of loving people. So why did Paul express love with two positives and then follow it with eight negatives? Well, the eight negatives closely correspond to what he is picking up with the Corinthians throughout the entire book. Okay, and the eight words are really strongly stated, so it's easy to think, isn't it? Oh, the Corinthians, you Corinthians, you're in such a mess. You know, I don't, can't really empathize with all of those. But if I was to put my name where love is, can I really say that all the time? Let's, let's try that out. Ben is patient and kind. Ben does not envy or boast. Ben is not arrogant or rude. Ben does not insist on his own way. Ben is not irritable. I'm not looking at Emily for that one. <laughs> or resentful. Ben does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I actually feel quite convicted. You can read that, and yeah, I I'm sometimes have better days than others, but not all the time. But you put Jesus there, Jesus' name instead of love, and the description makes perfect sense. So as we sung about this morning, Jesus fully gave himself in the perfect demonstration of agape love. Then he died on a cross in a totally selfless, self-giving act. He loved us whilst we were totally unlovable. He made it possible then for us to love others. Agape love is that outward-looking, self-giving kind of action. It's not necessarily an emotion but it's characterized by some other really famous verses in the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that 
that he gave his only son. He is the only means by which we can do all things. So up until now, you've kind of heard a self-help talk to an extent. You know, and if you go away without taking, without planting Jesus firmly in the center of it and how to love people better, you're ultimately, we're ultimately totally doomed to failure. Without Jesus' life living within us, without the spirit of Jesus, without the Holy Spirit living within us, we cannot change. He is the one that enables us to change. He is the one. It's his life that empowers us. So not only is he our example, but he is also our empowerment. We're able to love in the way that is listed here, agape love, because of the work in us through the Holy Spirit. And to illustrate the point, there's an incredible similarity between the fruits of the Spirit in the book of, uh, of Galatians, which is another book Paul wrote, and the list here in Corinthians. So the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We gain those fruits of the Spirit by living lives full of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of what Martin prayed out this morning, this sort of life-changing love that, that happens as the Holy Spirit fills us up. We cannot live a life of agape love without the Holy Spirit, without continually being filled up by him. When I came to faith, um, age 20, people kept saying to me, oh, you seem very different. Did, did anyone else get that? Did it, when they came to faith, did anyone else get We know Martin did. Was that a, a sort of sense of, actually, um, you know, my life... You seem different. Your countenance is different. How you, how you look is different. And that was not because I thought, right, I'm a Christian now, so now I'm going to have to behave in a different way. I'm going to have to act in a certain way. And to illustrate the point, um, very soon after I came to faith, um, I was on a bus on the way back with a mate and who was part of the church, and um, he said, how did you find church? And I said, it was effing brilliant. <laughs> so my language hadn't changed. And that took a little while for that to catch up, actually. But my, my heart, my countenance, how I came across, changed. And it changed because I was adopted into the family of God. And when we are adopted into God's family, we pick up the family traits. You can think of fruits of the Spirit like that, can't you? They're essentially the family traits of being in God's family. You inherit them. The Holy Spirit works in you and helps you to be that. So there's no hope for us without the Holy Spirit filling us up. To put it another way, Paul is saying that the fruits of the Spirit are actually more important than the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this one. It's more important that we look more like him than if we do stuff for him. It's more important that we look more like him than that we do stuff for him. But as well as the Holy Spirit working on our character, helping us, transforming us into his likeness, we're also to act it out in community. Uh, Spurgeon, who was a great Baptist preacher, had a slightly bizarre, um, but I think really helpful um, analogy, helpful illustration of this. And I've slightly changed his language, so it's, it's still fairly archaic, but a step backwards from that. Um, he says this to illustrate the point. 
I wish that we could all imitate the pearl oyster. When a hurtful particle intrudes itself into its shell, this vexes and grieves it. It cannot eject the evil, so it covers it with a precious substance extracted out of its own life, turning the intruder into a pearl. Oh, that we could do so with the provocations we receive from our fellow Christians, so that the pearls of patience, gentleness, long-suffering, and forgiveness might be bred within us. Wow. How do I handle hurtful com comments from people in a church context? Do I turn them into pearls of patience? <laughs> How do you handle someone who's offended you here? What do you do? Imagine what this place would be like if we took that seriously and we aimed to handle those frustrations and those things. The inevitable aspects of living in community. It's hard living in community and actually really knowing one another. But as we rub each other up the wrong way, what would happen if we turn those into faithful, if we turn them into patience, forgiveness, gentleness? Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then finally, the permanence of love. This is the next couple of, uh, couple of paragraphs. Love never ends. As for prophecies, it will they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The three greatest pursuits of a Christian life are not miracles, power, gifts. They're faith, hope, and love. Paul talks about faith, hope, and love multiple times throughout his letters, and it's definitely worth doing a little bit of a Bible study and looking at those further. But these are our priority, and the greatest of these, we said, is love. It's love because love goes on for eternity, it's of infinite worth, it justifies, it satisfies, it brings joy, it transforms, it forgives, it's utterly pure, it reforms, it delivers. So what's your Christian life focused on? Love, is also said, will outlive all the other gifts. It will go on into eternity. Um, a famous theologian called Barthes, his uh, memorable words state, because the sun rises, all lights go out. Because we will spend eternity with Jesus, there's no need for those spiritual gifts long term. Because we will know God as perfectly as we can. They are a taste. They are that dim mirror. We will meet him face to face. So what makes heaven really like heaven is not catching up with loved, departed loved ones, friends. It's not, um, it's not picking the brains of Moses or other great heroes and heroines of the faith. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that we will have unhindered, 
unrestricted presence. We will have the presence of our Lord and Saviour. We will get to know Jesus absolutely fully, just as I am known, and that will be our greatest experience in our eternal existence. And if you're a Christian, that is your eternal destination. So just finally, before we pray, how are we going to live in a more Christ-like way? Maybe um, you've been part of church for a long time and you've got a bit weary of loving people. Maybe you've been hurt in community and so from then on you've kept people a bit more at arm's length and it's so easy to do. Maybe you just find this exhausting. You're naturally an introvert and the prospect of spending time with people and inputting into people is just too much. What's our response to be? What is our response to be? It's so simple. What we're supposed to do is keep on being filled up by the Holy Spirit and keep giving ourselves into community situations. And then as we do that, we at Grace Church become a little taste of heaven. We become, we get shaped to become more like him. We experience more of his glory. This place becomes all the more wonderful.